Today we're going to talk in Numbers chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to go to Numbers chapter 10. I have called today simply together. And I'm going to put two caveats up front on this. First of all, I'm going to talk a lot about what's happening right now in us, because I feel like this is just, it's been on my heart for about a month, uh, growing and growing and growing. So I'm going to talk a lot about right now. But I believe this is a principle that we need to hold on to as a church, no matter what time it is. Because although the, the battle lines shift, the battle is the same. And so together is something I feel like we all should hold on to. And the second thing I want to say, the second caveat I want to give you is this. I want you to know that in my mind, this is just a gentle, calm discussion that I'm having with you. If I get intense, it is I don't think I am, okay? Sometimes, like, as I prepare this stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll just conversationally, whatever. And then I get up here, and all of a sudden, I'm, like, really, really passionate about it for some reason. So I'm just telling you that in my mind, this is all very, very calm. So you all just, like, believe that, okay? Just, just know that right from the get. I want to start... And I, and, and I think this is truth. I, I don't think this is hyperbole in any way. There is a strategy at play among us right now. A strategy to destroy, to discourage, to derail, to devastate, to ruin. Do you feel it? Have you seen it? And are we engaged in the fight against it? We see hints of it around us in our world, in all the latest news cycles, debates, discussions, the latest ideas, the latest uh, try to fix this problem or that problem. It has been at work over the past year in new and unique ways. And I believe it has targeted some of the most powerful reflections of God's goodness and God's person, trying to ruin and wreck the reflection of God in this world. I'm going to talk about it today because I believe it is the defining issue in this moment that we face as a church family. And I would say to you, this issue is bigger than you think it is. Maybe as I start talking, you're like, oh, I know. I know what you're going to talk about. There is a movement in our country right now to make God's creative design obsolete. To say that we as human beings can define what gender we are, what our sexuality should be, how we're going to live our life, and what we're going to identify as. We are basically masters of our own domain, and our desires and our wishes and even what we define as hardwiring is the truth. And we are going to fight to make sure that that is the way everybody sees it. That's a battle that's playing out in our world right now, and that's a huge battle. But let me say to you, believers, it pales in comparison to the strategy I'm talking about. There are competing movements right now amongst Christians to identify a, pol a political ideology that more closely aligns with Christian principles. And we get Scripture out, and we talk to one another, and we tweet at each other, and we post memes at one another, and we're going to convince one another that Christianity and Christian principles are more represented by this party or that party. It certainly has a powerful effect, but the battle is not over a political identity. It is much, much larger than that. There's an insistence right now in our country that everybody accept abortion as a normal thing, the throwing away of the gift of life that God alone can give. 
That we should be able to just casually throw that away and no one should have anything to say about it. Everyone should be fine with it. It's a horrible, horrible issue in our world. But it is small in comparison to what I'm talking about. Over the past year, we've had all kinds of tales told of a strategy to subjugate Americans, to take our freedoms. Whether it's the virus or the restrictions or the vaccines, they are all said to be some tools of of some kind of a hidden strategy to take power away from people and consolidate it in some secret organization. And if that's true, yikes. But I'm telling you, even if it is, it is very small in comparison to what I'm talking about today. So many more things playing out in our world. But I want to focus on something that I believe is really what we are engaged in. Let me start here. There are two things in Scripture that God specifically points at through His prophets and apostles. Two things that God uses to represent His love for people, His desire to relate to people. Do you know what they are? Two things. Let's put them up. The church and marriage. Two things that God has given as physical symbols in this world to reflect what He is, who He is, how He loves people. Ephesians 5, we're going to get to in a little bit. Marriage, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Over and over, the the idea of husband and wife is used to reflect the way that God loves people and the way that we relate to our Savior. Church, over and over again, we are told that we are the reflection of God on this earth. Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Then he follows it with, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So what he says is, I want you to love like I do, love one another like I do. And when you do that, it will reflect out to the world, by this all men will know you are mine if you love like I have loved you. But here's the thing about it. The supernatural unity in both of those relationships, a marriage and the church. It is the supernatural unity that reflects the loving character of God and is the pathway to God's work and power among us. And that has implications. Does this world need to know that Jesus saves? Does this world need to know that there is healing and hope and life and answers? Do we need to know that? Here's how God designed that to get shown up. Marriage and the church. And both are under assault. It gets reflected when the church lives in supernatural unity. And I would say even more than that, the power of God that God wants to pour out in His church and in your home is reserved for those who live in that unity. We don't experience it. We don't get it. We don't get to use it until and unless we live in that unity. So don't miss how important it is that these two work through supernatural unity and they break down with any kind of division or disunity. Right now, there is a spiritual strategy of our enemy to tear apart the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying in some big spectacle where everybody sees it tear apart. No, no, no. He's too smart to see that. We would all smell that and see it and fight against it. It's the disunity that lies under the surface. 
that allows all of us to go back to our own opinions and our own ideas and our own lives and our own worlds and have some kind of a wall up against our brothers and our sisters. There is a strategy to destroy this unity. Plenty to talk about in the destruction of unity in marriage, but I want to look at it in the church. Now, unity, I've said some big things here. Unity might be like, well, that's really, really small, Mark. I don't know if that's bigger than abortion. I assure you, it is absolutely central to what it always has meant to be God's people. I'm not going to review these, but I'm going to throw you a bunch of scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 4, we just went through this over the past six months. Paul says, we should live worthy of our calling. And then he immediately follows that by saying, make every effort to keep the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace. Right after that, live worthy of your calling. How? Unified. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, he makes the same point, saying the church is a connected body. And every part needs to do its work, and every part is important, and we need to work together. We need to be connected. 13 says, love is absolutely essential. No matter what you can do on your own, if you don't have love, it is empty. And look at what he says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. If I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I can move mountains with a word of faith, these are big things. And he says, it's nothing without love. Romans 12 Starts off by Paul saying, so lay your life down as a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on to talk about how God gives us gifts so we can work together. And then he follows that up by saying, owe no man anything but to love one another. Let love be sincere. Live together in unity, in harmony. As much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12. David says in Psalm 133, how pleasant is it when God's people live in unity. In John 17, Jesus prays that we would be brought to complete unity in the Father. And he specifically says that they would be one, my people would be one, like you and I, Father, are one. The list goes on and on and on. This is not a small thing in Scripture. This is one of the main things in Scripture. The unity of God's people. I don't know if this has been on your radar, but if it hasn't, let's put it on our radar. I don't know that I'm telling you anything you don't believe, but I'm hoping that today the Spirit will quicken us to recognize where the battle actually is. We may not even have recognized how successful this strategy has been to isolate and villainize the people we're supposed to be close to. But how much are we falling into something other than oneness and unity. If we don't figure this out, church, the enemy's going to throw a party. This is his strategy. And I'm shining a big spotlight on it today because God's kingdom depends on the people of God living unified as God designed us to. There is no plan B. There are no lone rangers. There is no one with enough of the spiritual gifts to go out and be their own kingdom. We must come together. Say, so, well, I would love to come together with the church family, but they're really dumb. <laughs> they don't think right. They don't act right. They don't do right. They've got mess in their lives. If we can figure that all out, then we could be together. Let me say this to you. We do not need to sort out the issues so we can be unified. 
We need to be unified so we can sort out the issues. This is the way it works, people. You don't go to your own corners and think your own thoughts and then come back together with like you somehow from Moses on high received the word from God and you've got the answer. God designed it so that the only way we get answers to these huge issues that we're facing is if we do it together. But we, don't, we can't tolerate together because you voted for that guy. We can't tolerate together because you think this matters or that matters. And the enemy is having a heyday in all of us in our self-righteousness and our, our self-convincedness and our sense of danger at allowing anything else to come in to make us push away one another. This has been one of the largest prices of this pandemic in this past year that we haven't really been able to do this together. And I am certainly talking about physical togetherness, Sunday mornings. By the way, do you remember like a year ago when they told us that Sunday mornings and gathering for worship was super, super dangerous? Haven't heard much about that recently, have we? We don't come back and correct that stuff. I could tell you our experience is it hasn't been super dangerous. As a matter of fact, the super danger is not together. That's the danger. But I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings or small groups or Wednesday nights or events or even intentional relationship actions. I'm talking about together in a deeper way because I believe this. What we've got to figure out, church, is that trust has been compromised with one another. And when trust is compromised, it makes together or closeness feel impossible. I cannot overstate how impossible it is to be together as God's people when we think the worst of one another. I could stop there. It is impossible for the family of God to really effectively be together when we distrust one another. Together is unsafe. And that had psychological and spiritual impacts. We started to look at one another with hesitation and with judgment instead of with love and a passion to connect. The value that we are to hold about being together, we have all somehow been affected. We think it is helpful or right to be mad or frustrated or irritated with one another. And those are natural human reactions, but those are lousy places to land if we are a family. If you think that the problem for together is that people didn't adopt your thoughts or do what you thought they should or on, on the pandemic or social justice or the election or whatever, then you have successfully missed the point. Our true enemy is working very hard to keep us from together because together holds the power to bring transformation, bring redemption, bring enduring hope, bring a life and a walk with Jesus that is more than I could ever do by myself. The question is whether we see together as worth fighting for. Is it core or is it optional? In this passage, and I know that's a lot of upfront, but in this passage, God gives Israel a plan for acting together as God's people. The signals and plans that he gave them were needed so they could actually function together. And I'm saying I'm going to apply that because we will never rise up to be the city on the hill that Jesus called us to be until we're together. Do you ever hear of a city of one person? The imagery in Scripture is about together. 
And it's together that we shine the light. It's together that the gospel is known. It's together that salvation in the kingdom of God is brought to this world. In this passage, God gives Israel a plan to function together. Very practical. It involves blowing trumpets and signaling a plan of order of how to do it and where to do it. The bigger thing for us is to grab onto this fact that it was essential for Israel to choose to act together. Essential for what? Essential for this. God had given them a promise that there was a land He was going to give them. And the only way He was going to get them from here to there was together. They were going to face battles. They had a journey to go. And they needed to do it all together in order to receive God's promise and establish the kingdom that God wanted to establish. So start with me in Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 down to verse 7. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blast will be for the signal for setting out. To gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the signal for setting out. So God, not any of this really matters to us. We're not marching with Israel. But the idea is, functionally, a group needs clear signals in order to work together. Otherwise, they're just stuck. They're just in chaos. They needed something that they knew that means it's time to, 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 to act. It's time to move. It's time to change. We need to be able, as the body of Christ, to move together. It needs to be clear what it's supposed to happen when that signal happens. So he told them, when you blow one trumpet, when you blow two trumpets, actually in Hebrew, there are long blasts and short blasts. So he's giving them very clear instructions. When you hear this, do this. When you hear this, do this. In order for us to be unified, there has to be an agreement that we are together and we are ready to respond in a common direction and at a common pace. Israel could not move together if they did not follow a common direction and go at a common pace. If everybody just went however fast they wanted to go with no regard for anyone else, they weren't moving together. If everybody just got up when they heard the trumpet and said, it's time to move, I want to go that way. It was vital that they all responded and decided there was this tacit agreement, we are going to move together. I'm not saying in their own tents they didn't have all decisions to make about who slept over there and what, you know, how, who was going to be responsible for the trash today and all that. They had individual responsibilities. But on the large scale, there were tasks that they needed to do together. Can you imagine the chaos if, everybody, if Moses just said to everyone, well, just follow the Lord for yourself. Whenever you think it's time to move, move. In the American church, that feels a little, like if I said to you, we're all going to do this together, it feels a little bit dictatorial. It feels a little bit like I'm, I'm going to make you. But the reality is there has to be an agreement amongst the body of Christ that we do this stuff together, that we move together. It was essential that as God's people moved through the wilderness, that they did it together so they could reflect the God who saved them. If they had not done it together, very quickly, there would be no more people of God. 
And so there was a variety of tasks they had to sort out. Time to move out. Time to gather the leaders. Time to gather the whole assembly. And the people, didn't, they didn't vote on, well, I, I wonder how we should do that. It was just functional. There's a signal, and this is what the signal is going to be. Okay, now we all know what the signal is. Now we can do this together. In America, we tend to think that all of us should be allowed to drive for ourselves. It is offensive to us to talk about submitting to the us. Even in marriage, it is offensive to talk about submitting to the us. But in both of those, that is what is essential to together. And that is what is essential to the power of God being poured out. When we all want to drive, when we all want to critique those who are driving, when we all set ourselves up as police, we don't move together. We aren't together. When we believe foolishly that we know enough to give the full and final answer and we don't need anyone else's input, we don't need to understand anyone else, we don't need to respect anyone else, we cannot move together. Certainly there is an importance on leadership here, but it's really the leadership is just subservient to the together. It's just a way that we do together. He says there's an order of moving out. This group needs to go first. This group needs to go second. That's not an indication of importance. The people who lived on the east weren't more important than the people who lived on the south. But you couldn't just blow a trumpet and say, go. So there was an order. In the body of Christ, there isn't, a, although there's an order, there's not a magnitude of you're more important or you're less important. There's, when we do things in order, when I get up and speak, it's not because I'm more important. It's because that's how we do this together. We need function. So I would say, in a lot of ways, there isn't a, a first or a last. There isn't a more important or a less important. It's just how it is. If you're the one in need of help, or if you're the one able to give help, you're both necessary for together. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to be the one in need of help. We need people who need help. I, I mean, that sounds dumb, but isn't that the truth? If we are ready to help someone and nobody needs help, then it's just theory. But when somebody actually needs help and we can rise, we need the one who needs help and we need the people who can give help. We are essential together. Whether you're the leader or the follower, you're necessary. If you have big problems that everyone can see or if your problems are more hidden, you're necessary. If you know a lot of the Bible or you don't know much of it, you're necessary. Every single one of us is necessary and we've got to come back to holding that reality. I'm not saying admitting it. I'm saying holding that reality. People are necessary. And how necessary are they? They're necessary enough that Jesus died to bring them into this family. That's pretty necessary, isn't it? Moving together is about our calling, but it's, it really starts from together. Sometimes here, I think as they wandered through the wilderness, they, the trumpets were blown and they all got up and moved together. It was less about you need to move from this geographic location to this geographic location. It was more about God practicing with them together. Sometimes there are things we need to do. There are business meetings we need to have. There, there are decisions that need to get made. And it really isn't about those decisions or those. It's really about together. It's about practicing. Will we join our hearts together? Will we come together? Will we submit ourselves before God together? Is that dangerous? Oh, yeah. But you know what's more dangerous? Not together. And I have had a, 
front row seat to a lot of the fallout of not together in our church. And I'm telling you, it is devastating. It is absolutely devastating. As a church, to be together, to move together, we all own faith and we reflect Jesus. We all embrace some strategies that make our church family operate. We get together on Sunday mornings and we give some of what God has given to us. We get together in small groups. We reach out to those who are missing, to those who are hurting. We embrace strategies and we choose to live like they're important, not for the action themselves, but for the fact that we are together. I don't want us to be a church that is stuck and going nowhere, just treading water because the enemy has us thinking that we need to sort out all our issues before we can come together or that it's too dangerous for us to come together. Please know that only together will we find God's supernatural power for the challenges in front of us. And man, there's big challenges. Have you ever felt like, how many challenges need to get dumped into my lap? I've like sorted that one out and then this one drops and then I, I'm not even done and then God drops another one. Do you know why God does that? Not because he's mean. Not because he got his hand stuck on the button. Because as long as you can sort it out alone, you will. But when you get overlo- overwhelmed, overloaded, sometimes it dawns on even the thickest among us. I need help. He brings us together. It's not about the suffering so much as it's about the together that comes out of it. Let's go on. Because not only are we to move together, we also are to fight together. Verses 8 and 9, it says this, The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Are there fights we're supposed to take up together? We have fights that we cannot possibly win unless we figure out together. Identifying the fight is almost meaningless. Identifying the right strategy is almost meaningless unless we figure out how to actually, in real life, be together in the fight. As a matter of fact, we probably can't even correctly identify the fight or the how to fight unless we are together. The strategy that is working against us right now is trying to make us completely useless for the kingdom of God by disconnecting us. By making people in your church family, people who are part of the body of Christ with you, people that you want nothing to do with people you want to steer clear of, people who irritate you, who get on your nerves. But we cannot fight battles like that. No matter how hard you argue or how right you think you are, you won't ever be able to fight the battles that God has given us until we do it truly together. Here, they go out to battle, and and he says, when you go out to battle in your own land, and there's an enemy oppressing you, you sound the trumpet so everyone knows it's time to come together. There's an enemy we need to fight and face together. And when we come together, I don't know if you picked up the last part of verse 9 there, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. His point was not their strength in numbers. 
His point was, when you come together, then God shows up in the together, and then God will remember you and deliver you from your enemies. Do you see why I'm so passionate about this? Because there's something about this that's like, if we don't figure out together, then God is hanging back and waiting for us to decide to be together before he pours out his power for the battles in front of us so that we can have the victory that we need. And then he's like, yeah, but aren't they really dumb? Man, did you hear what they said? I can't believe they think that. Why would they post that? Why would they say that? Why would they look? His strategy is to keep us from together. The implication of this this command and the follow-up to it is that there is some power for our struggles that we don't get until we face them together. And we've experienced that in times of big loss, in times of danger, in times of overwhelming struggle. As a church family, you have felt those moments where you were on your own and then the church surrounded you with love and support and you felt the Spirit of God lift you up, whether it was that people were praying for you or someone was present with you. But the world has this conversation around us. They chirp at us all the time and it sounds right to our flesh and our enemy wants to magnify it. I would rather just be together with people that I agree with. People who are in my comfort zone. Let me say it a different way. We are not fighting each other. Or at least we shouldn't be. Can you imagine Israel? They blow the trumpet. Here comes the enemy. And Israel's like, yeah, but I don't like him. I'm going to go fight him. I don't care about the enemy. I'm going to fight him. Blatantly ridiculous. And yet for the church of Jesus Christ, we somehow have bought into this. Make no mistake, we face enormous battles that require the power of the Lord. Fighting against cultural issues of this world that want to wreck and ruin and destroy people's lives in the church of Jesus Christ. Domestic violence, mental illness, pornography. There are huge things for us to fight, but we have to do it together. Will we? Last thing, verse 10. Not only do we fight together and move together, we also Worship together. Verse 10, at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before the Lord. I am the Lord, your God. One of the greatest things we can do together is worship. And I'm talking about when we actually do it together. Not just that you're present. Like, together is more than I showed up or I tuned in. Together is, we did this together. We prayed together. We sang together. We joined our hearts together. And I'm saying there is power from on high and there is the presence of God in together in worship that isn't anywhere else. So we come together for that. But when we come together, we don't all get to choose our own song. All right, we're going to sing now. Pick a song. We don't get to, here's the five songs we're singing today. Everybody decide which one you want to sing first. We don't get to decide our own service times. Come whenever you want. We come together. And as we come together, we practice moving and fighting and worshiping as one. This is our practical workshop every week of together. It doesn't end with Sunday morning, but it certainly starts with Sunday morning. So I'm going to propose this. How about if we choose together all the time? How about if we see the value 
and we work towards it. I'm not saying we flip a switch and it's all fixed. I'm saying, what if we say together is valuable enough to be worth the work? Not simple, certainly not easy, certainly not safe, but worth it. Because God's people have always been called to together. Especially those who follow Jesus have always been called to together. We will not accomplish what God has for us if we keep going forward in hundreds of different directions, segmented into different categories that our world has given to us and we somehow have embraced. Here's the category. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. We only work together. We cannot let disrespect and distrust warp our family. We cannot allow disconnection to stand. So if you've been stuck in frustration or fear, I'm just saying I believe the Spirit is saying to us it's time to move together anyway. If your connection to church has waned, I'm saying let's move back to a full connection. So I want to make this appeal to our church today. Not just to you, but to our whole church. Let's get back together. Physically, yeah, for sure. But in every way that you can, let's get back together. It has been long enough and we've given all kinds of respect to the virus, so be it. But guess what? This is the thing that is eternal. The family of God is the thing that's eternal. The virus is something that we have to deal with in this life, but it's not the point of us being here. Let's stop acting like it is. Let's come together. My prayer is that the Easter weekend, we see this come to fruition. Whether it's on Good Friday or Easter service or starting to come to Bible study or going to small group again or gathering in small groups to watch live stream on Sunday or whatever, that we start to move that way. Because physically, it's important that we reflect what we're doing physically. But in every other way too, that we come together, that we want to be together, that we want it with people who are in our family, people who don't decide like we decide, people who don't think like we think, people who don't look like we look, people who don't act like we want them to act, people that we've been avoiding, people that have posted stuff we disagree with or said things that hurt our feelings. Together, together, together. Together is what's at stake. Satan knows it and is working hard to keep us from it. But Jesus prayed, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. How about if we pursue that together?